Rod Builders, save the date. On April 12th, 13th, and 14th, Angler's Resource will host the Mastering Rod Building Seminar in Foley, Alabama. The event will feature a series of presentations by some of the biggest names in the rod building community, along with vendors, live music, free food, and even a keg of beer. The event's free to attend, but entry is limited to the first 150 spot people who sign up. So to reserve your spot, visit anglersresource.net slash seminar. That's anglersresource.net slash seminar and fill out the registration form on the Hope page. See you there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Bill Faulkner, host of the Mastering Rod Building Podcast, and I am delighted to have with me today a very special guest uh, representing an exceptional uh, rod building concern, uh, and that is the legendary G. Loomis. Uh, for those of you who have not heard of G. Loomis or don't know the company G. Loomis or their rods, I have nothing to say to you. Um, you must have been living under a rock since 1982 when they were founded. But located in Woodland, Washington, uh, about 100 employees now. And really, it's impossible to kind of overstate the significance of, of Loomis in the development of carbon fiber fishing rods, not only in the United States, uh, but in the world. So uh, delighted to have uh, representing G. Loomis today, uh, Landon Myers. And so Landon uh, joined G. Loomis from the Space Dynamics Lab in March of 2020 as a design engineer. He has since uh, been promoted to a design engineer specialist. He holds both bachelor's and master's degrees in mechanical engineering from Utah State. And he also has a uh, an Outdoor Industry Association Sustainable Product Design and Supply Chain Certificate. That's a mouthful, Landon, <laughs> but very important. Uh, and and I think we'll we'll talk some about the excellent environmental responsibility and corporate stewardship uh, demonstrated by Loomis, which makes me very proud to have them as a customer. Um, he's also an Eagle Scout. Pay attention, kids. This matters. He uh, came through Troop 326 in Fruita, Colorado, the pride of Fruita, Colorado, at least as far as I know, and is an avid angler, loves fly fishing small streams for trout. So uh, welcome, Landon. Did I leave anything out? No, I think you covered it all. That's a nutshell. Yeah, Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I love having people like you, a very well-trained and decorated uh, mechanical engineer, because I think sometimes uh, consumers tend to think about fishing as, you know, kind of a a backwoods, you know, outdoor blue collar sport. And they sort of, and, and certainly it is, it's for everybody, right? There's a ton of engineering that goes into the manufacturing of these really high performance fishing rods. And I think it's reflected by your credentials and, and several others at, at places like G Loomis. But, um, you know, all you have to do is, you know, put a reel on it, go out and fish. You don't have to overthink it any more than that. But, there are some pretty smart cats with, uh, you know, pretty advanced degrees doing a lot of advanced engineering work uh, to kind of push the the ball up the field on technology and getting faster and stronger and lighter and more sensitive and more durable and all these kinds of things. So uh, it's a treat to have you on. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you. And and it's it's been very, very humbling experience here, um, despite all of the credentials that, uh, that may come across on paper. I think that the learning experience I've had here in the past three years has been just quite the deal, mainly because I've been here working really closely with the, the legend, Steve Rajeff. Right. And, and that in and of itself is a real treat. 
Um, so, so we can so, we can talk more about that later or or now, but sure. No, yeah. So that's one of the things that's so fascinating to me. I was talking to Jerry, one of your coworkers, and he was talking about every once in a while he'll just see Rod Blanks moving or lines happening outside his office and he'll walk out there and it'll be Steve and it's like man I don't know I think I'd be distracted uh if I was my office was next to a legend like that I'd be I'd be trying to hit him up for casting lessons all the time probably but yeah, yeah. And, and so you sort of sought out if I remember right we were talking about this when I first met you at the Fred at the Pacific Coast Sport Fishing Show in California last year um you actually sought out employment at Loomis right like this was something that yeah, that you wanted to do so talk to me a little bit about that how you got there yeah I, I kind of got inspired in 2019 Utah State University where, where I studied mm-hmm. um, has recently incorporated an outdoor product design and development program awesome um, I was not a part of that at the time. But I have a sister-in-law who was okay, and seeing her go through that program and and learn about the history of outdoor products in general, she was involved in a lot of soft goods manufacturing. They got me inspired. I was at the, working at Space Dynamics Lab, like you said. I was right. doing hardware for NASA contracts. Um, there wow. are little pieces of aluminum that are on satellites now orbiting the Earth that I worked on. So oh wow. Um, so big change from that, but the inspiration started with my sister-in-law and, oh. and opening up the the idea of, hey, the outdoor industry is out there. Oh, my absolutely. degree hasn't pointed me in that direction, but it serves well and absolutely. there are others who do it. So Yeah, absolutely. And so how did you, uh, I always um, ask every guest that's on, so how did you get into fishing? How did you get started? I know we were talking about that you've been tying flies and an avid fly angler since you were like eight years old but talk to me about that how did you get started in fishing yeah um you know it starts with scouts uh, okay my dad was part of the troop leadership mm-hmm. when i was eight years old um yeah. and of course i wasn't old enough to be a boy scout then i was in cub scouts but right um, he would tag me along all of these other older teenage boys and and i'd get to go do some of the things they were doing there were a couple guys who were family friends with us and and they uh brought a fly tying kit to camp one day it was out on the the balcony of the a-frame cabin and i was right. like what's that like this <laughs> right. looks kind of cool i was already kind of artsy to begin with so yeah. um to me that was a little craft and once i learned it was related to fishing it was game over yeah that's uh, awesome but the rest is history so were you a rod builder also before you came to loomis or i wasn't actually okay i got close to it yeah. Uh, there's the, they, they used to be called Rivers Wildflies mm-hmm. um, there in, in Hiram, Utah. Um, now they've re- renamed to Round Rocks Flies, where they supply all the flies to sportsmen. Okay. Um, I did some fly tying with them while I was okay. going to school in Logan. Met those guys. They actually do a rod building class. I was never part of that, but had kind of wanted to up until the point that I graduated and doing the big stuff so oh, that's awesome yeah well excellent uh so hey shout out to the boy scouts right it's funny my, i have one sibling and older brother trey and uh he's an avid angler as well but he um he doesn't build rods because he just takes them from me and breaks them mostly i'm just kidding trey but um he's a, a physician and in both his medical school interviews and his residency interviews people every single person he interviewed with brought up 
the the Eagle Scout thing, and he felt like it was like a meaningful differentiator. And so good on you for getting that. I, I personally stopped short. I, my dad was in troop leadership too, and I I stopped short of my Eagle Scout project and probably broke his heart, but he's forgiven me. So. So a lot of people, one of the most interesting things to me in this industry is there's this notion, certainly a tremendous amount of innovation comes out of Japan as, as a market, but people, some people don't realize that the advent of the modern carbon fiber fishing rod is very much uh, an American, you know, origin. And it started with G Loomis. So talk to me about that a little bit about the company history started in 1982, right? Yeah, Gary was involved in some things even before 1982, but G. Loomis, as, as the company name, um, began here in 1982. They began yeah. in a small building um, here in Woodland, and I'll split it up by decade. Starting in the sure. 80s, they they uh, were starting to build graphite rods. Um, mm-hmm. They had what today would term intermediate modulus mm-hmm. rods, and so they they termed the IM, IM6 mm-hmm. for their prepreg technology at that time right that evolved to gl2 mm-hmm. gl3 with each one the the modulus goes up the gl3 is kind of getting into that high modulus game um so by the 90s the the gl3 had high impact resins yep kind of upgrading the resin systems every time they launched a new product and and each with a new name yeah, so let me, just for people who may be at kind of a, a beginner level, it, there's a lot packed into what Landon just said. So I'm going to, if you don't mind, Landon, I'm going to unpack a couple of things and just explain for folks. So when we talk about, you heard him mention prepreg, we have an entire episode about how uh, carbon fiber and other rod blanks are made. So we can dive much more deeply. Uh, you should search that episode and look it up and because that, that will help with some of these terms and definitions. But essentially you take a mandrel that's machined a steel mandrel that's machined to the inside taper you want on the rod and then they take these pieces of carbon fiber material they can be linear they can be woven there's all different kinds these days and and they cut them uh into these shapes or flags almost like triangles put them tack them to the mandrel and under tremendous pressure roll them and sort of bake them that's generally how a blank is made i'm dramatically oversimplifying and landon's probably cringing but so when he says prepreg what he's talking about is the carbon fiber cloth that is used to cut these shapes from that is then tacked to the mandrel or or multiple types tacked to the mandrel and rolled to to get the taper and shape and you know ultimately what we think of as a rod blank it's pre-impregnated right and so with the the the, what and it sometimes it's proprietary Uh, in the old days we'd think of like resin now there's some things where it's way more advanced than that but he's essentially talking about uh, a a significant innovation in in the use of materials and the way things were made i think that's the first time people used prepreg was was loomis back in the day right and then when he's talking about modulus as engineers will know, a modulus is really kind of, if I if I dramatically simplify it, almost like a stiffness to weight ratio. So how stiff or strong is the material um, for how much it weighs? Now, we have to be mindful that it can also be very brittle, even if it has a high modulus. So as, as Loomis was pushing the envelope with these materials, they realized, hey, it's not just about the carbon fiber. It's about, well, you mentioned the high impact resins, right? So how do we make a rod? And ultimately, it's hoop strength, right? And crush resistance that kind of ends up being the rate limiting factor factor um if you think of a drinking straw if you go to bend it or set a hook with it if like a fishing rod it just flattens out and, and rolls over and fails rods want to do the same thing tubular 
structures want to do the same kind of thing, especially tapered like that. And so a ton of engineering and a ton of what Landon and, and the team are doing is, is picking materials, um, not just the, what we think of as graphite or carbon fiber or whatever the, the actual, you know, majority of the material is, but also how we bind that all together. How do we mix different types, all these different things? How do we use resins that are high impact, you know, so you can, tick the tip of your five weight fly rod with a lead eyed clouser and it won't break on the next cast. Right. So for example, um, so sorry, Landon, I didn't want to stop you rolling, but we'll just give a little bit of explanation there. So, okay. I think we were up through the late eighties, maybe to the early nineties. Um, and, and I feel compelled to tell, uh, my first rod I ever built in May of 1993 was an eight foot four weight, two piece IMX. And it was like, the best rod I'd ever put my hands on and, and, and sort of has hooked me on rod building ever since then. So, you know, tip of the cap. And I appreciate when you, when we're talking about the IM series and the IMX and everything, that was a, that, that means something very personal to some of us, me especially. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, it, it's astounding to me. I mean, I've been here for three years that how much this technology goes back. Oh yeah. And we're working with, slight modifications and i say slight because it's on the order of the molecular molecular structure but wow. it makes a massive difference on how the rod performs so at the turn of the century that was about the time that gary sold the company to shimano mm -hmm. um, and around that time business strategy changed a little mm -hmm. bit mm -hmm. the, there was still a push for technology but we also had more doors open to collaboration right. um, with Shimano and that Japanese engineering. Right. Japanese take big pride in the, the innovations and, and so did Gary Loomis. Um, and I, I think that just really fit well. Absolutely. Um, and has been a catalyst for what the last 20 years has proven for the company. And I'm, I'm the beneficiary of, of that. I'm here with a suite of materials that has nano silica particles in it and, ultra high modulus fibers. Uh, right. We also have a few different scrims that we put in. Yep. Um, so to build on what we already talked about with modulus being the stiffness, the resin being what holds it together, scrim also helps us with that hoop strength that you mentioned. Um, so to maintain that circular structure of, of the conical blank, we have scrim that is actually a fiber similar to the fibers we use that go along the length of the rod to give it its strength and, and action characteristics. But we put a scrim that goes with the circumference right. um, and that helps us maintain hoop strength as well. It gives it a factor of rigidity. Yeah, that's, it's fascinating. And, and I think sometimes there is a lot of marketing hype in the outdoor industry, maybe in every industry probably. Right. But, you know, um, these things, when we talk about some of the proprietary technologies that are being used at Loomis and some others, um, if you're a cynic, believe me, things they are doing uh, are different. This is not just a sizzle. There's a whole lot of stake there, right? Uh, and so to that end, uh, we, we sit here uh, right now as we're recording this, regardless of when people are listening to it, we're less than a month out of ICAST 2023, 
where G Loomis had a big, uh, a big win in the best of show category for uh, a brand new rod using some of this new proprietary technology that you guys have developed really just in the last couple of years since you've been at Loomis um, with the NRX inshore. So congratulations on that big win. I'm partial to this rod and this win, and I, I, I'm going to try to latch on and, and, and grab your, ride your coattails on this one because Aaron Lowe and I, the director of sales at, at Angler's Resource, and we're the North American distributor for Fuji products and a partner of both Shimano and G. Loomis. We got to go to Venice, Louisiana back in May of 2023 and extensively test the then highly confidential top secret NRX inshore. And I haven't been impressed with a factory rod in a long time, kind of, you know, it didn't seem like a game changer to me. When they first gave me, put those rods in my hand the night before we went out on the first day, I said, we are going to break every one of these rods. There's no way. It's just way too light, way too light in total weight. Actions felt really good. Fit and finish was beautiful, really uh, attractive and well-balanced rods. But I was like, these things are just too light. We're going to break them. And uh, no, we did not. <laughs> and we caught a pile of big redfish with Captain Patrick Dickinson of Dixie Outfitters in Buras, Louisiana. He put us on them for three days. And uh, we went with Tara and Jones and uh, Matt Workloff, two members of the team at G. Loomis. And they both caught inshore slams and both had redfish over 40 inches and were throwing we kind of were using the rods a little bit outside of spec sometimes, throwing a big ounce and a half popping cork with a with a three eight ounce jig head, big live shrimp. But man, they held up beautifully and just a pleasure to fish. So uh, you you've got them in both uh, inshore. I'm sorry, in both spinning and casting. But talk to me a little bit about some of the some of what you can discuss that's not proprietary about the technology that that went into those blanks that you know led to the win in that best of show category at iCast. Great, man, Bill. This is this is an optimization problem that that has peaked with the NRX Plus inshore, but it started with started with our collaboration project with Shimano back as early as Conquest. Um, if okay. you're familiar with the Conquest product, mm-hmm. um, that was a Spiral X product um, that that we put the Gelomus name on. We put it, we assembled them here. Right. That Spiral X technology is. A, a Shimano developed. That's a Shimano invention, and we've uh, spent the last four or five years taking that technology and implementing the machines here in Woodland, Washington, to to do our own version of that. So our version of the Spiral X is using, of course, the carbon slip tape, mm-hmm. which is the kind of the main business part of the Spiral X technology. But we have also inserted our Gluminous proprietary materials and resins, um, as well as the Gluminous multi-taper design philosophy. Yep. And all those things together have just been baked into what first came out as the NRX Plus Bass, mm-hmm. um, which which has gotten good reviews, and and we've just built on that for the inshore. Uh, we've taken optimized optimized a few of the material stackups that we have in there. Um, made it even more lightweight than you see in in the Bass series, mm-hmm. and I guess you can attest to how strong they are. Uh, oh how man, how up. light and how strong! And you know the thing that struck me about them, what I really liked about them most, is um, so many times when we get into these, uh, I, I have fished several ultra high modulus rods, right? that lost their fishability, I guess, for lack of a better description. They're too fast, too crisp, too stiff. 
too they lack a certain dynamism or dynamic element of the of the that rod has very uh fluid transition from like i would almost describe it as like three power sections in the blank like a tip a mid and a butt distinctly and it sort of transitions fluidly from there and they i mean they fish real sweet like a like a you like small stream fishing like a small fiberglass fly rod you know it's a real sweet rod to fish um and, and by sweet i guess i'm I got to be more, uh, you know, sort of clear with an engineer, right? Because I'm going to get called out for my meaningless vocabulary. But uh, just the, the degree of feel and the degree of ease of use and sort of correcting bad habits and, and being very, very easy to fish with, it it, it has that kind of an easy, almost like an old IM6 or fiberglass kind of uh, progressive good feel to it. But man, when you go to stand on it with a long cast with a hook set, turning a big fish, there's a lot of power there. A lot of very progressive, powerful actions, right? That just kind of feel like it's almost like if you've ever driven a car that feels like no matter when you stomp the pedal, it's just going to accelerate. Like there's almost no end to the power. That's kind of what those rods feel like. But you don't get that where it's too stiff throwing a light uh, lure or it's so stiff. I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. Sometimes they're just too fast and too stiff. And this one is not. It, it's a very easy fishing, uh, sensitive, dynamic rod, uh, but just the weight, it just weighs nothing. And it's just incredibly powerful. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. It's enough to get me to buy a factory rod, which I haven't done in 28 years, um, which I'll put in my plug here. It's because the blanks aren't available. I'm going to be running around looking in garbage cans and, and trying to beg, borrow, or steal some uh, NRX inshore blanks after fishing those things. They were lights out. And, and you know, our captain, Patrick Dickinson with Dixie Outfitters, He's been down there doing it for, I don't know, 20 years, very experienced guide, excellent angler. And he was really, really impressed with those rods too. And again, we had, we had IMX and GLX. We had some other, not IMX, but GLX. We had some other things and they were all really, really good. Uh, that's the first time I'd gotten to fish a, uh, oh gosh, an Accents reel, right? That's a really, really nice reel. But yeah, so th these rods are exceptional. And, you know, we talk about the technology and the X-Wrap and our spiral, you know, uh, all this stuff, but it's actually a real thing. And if you try it, so let, let's talk about that for a little bit. And I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to try to take a stab and tease it out here with the spiral X innovation. Essentially you're using multiple fabrics and tapes, right? And you're wrapping them, not just one way, but multiple ways in order to harness a, a combination of capabilities, right? So it's got all the linear fibers and things you would normally have in a rod, but then it also has some scrim and some other things to, to give it a more progressive and kind of dynamic, resilient action. But then it's also got this kind of a, I would say, taper toe layer, right? Which is a little bit different. We're actually taking what we would think of as a traditional rod blank and then we're over wrapping that or, or wrapping that same structure again with this almost like spiral or helical tape or toe i don't know what you would technically call it engineering wise am, am i getting close is that kind of how you would describe it to a layperson? yeah so yeah when we when we think of like a strand of loose carbon fiber yeah that that comes that's defined by a toe or that's the termed by as a toe okay um, and and that gets in itself thin strips rather than big sheets, um, right. thin strips of that, that are, again, impregnated with a resin. Um, and that's something that we can take off of rolls and spiral it down the blank. So it, it, the the mandrel is the tapered steel tooling that we use. Um, right. And we apply that tape to the mandrel on what would be the 
inside of the cone of the blank mm -hmm. um, in an overlapping spiral all the way down. Then we run our flag material, our triangular or trapezoidal shapes mm -hmm. wrapped around mm -hmm. that to form kind of the main core of the blank. And then we go over again with that carbon slip tape and it goes crossways to the first wrap that was right. on the inside. And so the, effectively on the outside is kind of the bulletproof layer yeah. that also adds in and of itself that hoop strength and hoop stiffness. Yep. Yep. Um, and you've essentially gotten fibers oriented in just about every direction in every plane, right? So it, it but so you got the linear for the sensitivity and, and all that. You've also got that under kind of X wrap uh, for hoop strength and a, a strong kind of core. And then you've got that, the, it really, the, the over wrap of the, the individual strands. Uh, and I think a lot, it would be easy to look at that. It looks really cool, right? Like it looks, it's got a lot of flash to it kind of, right? Not flash, uh, a, a lot of style to it. And so I think mm -hmm. a lot of times as consumers, we get jaded and we sort of say, ah, oh, they're just putting something on the outside to make it change color or they're painting it or they're putting something on there just to make it look good. This isn't just a cause. This is not a, it happens. It, the lucky artifact of the process is that cosmetically to me, it's very appealing looking and has a, a lot of depth and luster in the sun, but it was completely functional. It was not cosmetic at all coming up with this construction technique. And I, you know, I understand, I don't understand the engineering like you do. I understand from a layperson's perspective, how you're laying up these blanks and how different it is than what a lot of folks are doing. But I can tell you as an angler, it's not subtle when you go to fish it and that th these rods just seem incredibly light incredibly powerful incredibly responsive um, and super durable and 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 they're very fine in diameter in terms of profile right like this is not something where oh we've beefed this thing up so but it's got a half inch diameter at the butt i mean these are slender svelte rods i mean if you picked up the nrx two power casting rod which is the one i wouldn't put down all week I mean, you probably think you're picking up a walleye rod or a, a drop shot rod or something. I mean, it's super light and feels gentle. And but man, like I said, when you step on the gas, that thing's a that thing's a Formula One car, man. It'll go. Yeah, Bill. If I if I have any critique of 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 our technologies here at G Loomis, cosmetically, you could say, yeah, it would be that the the multi taper sometimes can result in a large diameter blank. It's a mm -hmm. thin walled blank, right. Um, in order to achieve that stiffness with a thin wall right. to make it lighter, the diameter's got to grow. Right. And it enhances yeah, balance. That's just right. the yeah. opposite with these ones. It, well, right. It's not the opposite, but we have counteracted that ne necessity for a large diameter with the Spiral X and the Ultra High Modulus. So you can get this sleek, slim profile, like really unassuming type rod that gets the job done. On the oh yeah, absolutely. It has a lot of power, a lot of guts. Yeah. So, so here's what I want to know. Uh, how, how long till this technology crosses over to fly blanks? I would love to tell you. Yeah, well, don't, don't. That's okay. That. As long, as long as there's a conversation there and I know it's coming, I'll keep my mouth shut. But that's uh, one of the other things with that narrow profile that I thought I was like, Oh man, I would love to fish all day with a 10 foot four weight, you know, made on this kind of design principle with that slim, that slim profile yeah. um no so. you can you can get a taste of that with Asquith. we yeah and, and that one's been been around for a little while it has so. been yeah and they're great rods so so talk to me a little bit about so sorry i, I just we, we congratulations on the the icast best of show it's a big deal I, I i'm not sure people who don't go to that show don't i'm not sure they realize how many entrants there are and how competitive that is 
those wins, although you guys have notched several, they're something you never take for granted. It's a big deal. Um, and obviously anglers and Fuji, we were just delighted to have our guides uh, featured on that rod titanium Torzite guides um, and, and, and congratulations on the win. And thank you for uh booing us a little bit right because we were like i said we're going to ride your coattails and and choose to believe that it was partially our win too even though it was all you guys so um talk to me about the whole process we we've talked about some of the interesting design elements and we clearly i think if someone's listening and paying any attention they they get the fact that you're not just resting on your laurels that you've got a hardcore team designers and engineers and scientists like pushing the envelopes and, and you mentioned uh, it was a problem of uh, optimization, right? That you were trying to kind of optimize some characteristics and tumble to a new technology. So t- talk to me about that. Talk to me about the d- kind of the design philosophy and, and the process and how you guys go about taking something you're trying to do through maybe like a prototype blank through like component selection. And like, h- how does a rod get from your drawing board, like the NRX Inshore, how does something like that get from, or the Asquith from the, your drawing board to the consumer's hands and on the market, like kind of for people who haven't ever seen that process, can you kind of high level walk me through how that all works? Yeah. So we're, we're more than just a team of, of myself. We've got product planners. We've got people within our own research and development department that have their own strengths and weaknesses. And we, we collaborate on these things. And the best way that I can put it is that if we get the right people in the room and ask the right questions, then the product will design itself. And then all we have to do is get out of the way. Right. And a lot of times the market will be what, what demands that. Um, so sure. we're trying to listen to the market. We're trying to, to get the, the advice from the right, right set of people. And that just kind of all came together in this case. We were able to see a truly passionate product team mm-hmm. who live down there among the redfish yeah right (laughs) and and this is this is their game Uh, so we could see from from day one that they were passionate about the project and that just gave us the fire we needed to throw the kitchen sink at it absolutely and what he's referring to is uh, shimano north america fishing sometimes called snaf is based in uh, south carolina right and and that's that 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 is an excellent redfish fishery and uh you've got some people that are pretty salty and hardcore down there chasing them so so that's that's kind of where the origin of that optimization problem came from was that team huh yeah it was yeah they gave us gave us some some things to shoot for Mm-hmm. And then we we took and, and it took what we learned from the NRX plus bass, the Spiral X imp- implementation in here in the factory. We actually have a few new machines that have oh wow tighter tolerances, less slop. It just mm-hmm. really adds to what we're able to achieve here because mm-hmm. there are certain certain properties of these blanks that come out sometimes beyond our control that might be something that stands in the way of a product being mass producible right but just yeah the combination of some new machines and our materials and different combinations of our materials which right. is something we're we're branching out into um historically the philosophy had been okay let's source a new material that has a new characteristic and slap that across the board for an entire product line but now the now that we have two or three really high performing materials we can take any combination of those three to yeah. create something new 
yep. um, instead of being pigeonholed to just singular material. So, yeah. and I, I, I do want to say, this is funny to me. You mentioned slop in the machines. We sh- I feel compelled to say that he's talking about slop measured in thousandths of an inch, like <laughs> tiny, like this is a hardcore engineer talking about slop and variation, right? This is not uh yeah, th- there's not holes. You can't see through any of these blanks. I promise it's uh <laughs> having been in that shop and seeing you guys do what you do and not disclosing anything proprietary slop is a is the least generous way you could have possibly described the uh, efforts that go towards minimizing variation and you know achieving precision in the product and those those efforts are significant as shown by the quality of the product but that's you know that's another thing that's really interesting to me you guys uh, actually wrap uh, and finish manufacture assemble uh, you know however you you guys talk about it internally uh, these G Loomis rods at at the factory there in in Woodland, and you have a, a team that does that. They build a really, and I say this as a highly critical custom builder. They build a really pretty, very good fit and finish, excellent finish and thread work, like all that. They they really build a high quality, attractive rod. Um, and unfortunately, that's a little bit of an outlier. There's there's certainly some other uh, OEMs and factories that can do that, but there's a whole lot more of them that can't come close or choose not to. I don't know. Talk, talk to me about that process. Like, obviously, there's a lot of QA that goes into that. For someone who's never seen one of these operations or understand how this, how this is done, I mean, you've got a team that's inspecting and testing blanks and make sure they're all to spec, and, and then they're being... Uh, you know, typically in the U.S., they assemble the, assemble the handle first, right? And in, in a lot of Japan, Japanese rod or Asian rod factories, it's different. They start with the guides and the tip top is the first thing that goes on. That's the last thing that goes on typically in the U.S. or, or North American kind of manufacturing technique. But so you've got a team that's gluing up handles and seats and everything. And then you've got a team that's actually wrapping the rods and in, in aligning guides and doing all that, then you got a team that's putting finish on them. Like, talk to me about how, how do y'all keep the tolerances so good and, and keep the quality of work so consistent? Cause it's like custom level to me. Yeah. You know, I think that's a testament to the people yep. that we have here. You mentioned we started in 1982. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even born then. I was still, <laughs> I, was. still I was still yet to be born for another 10 years. And yeah. there are people that are here that we're here then yeah they are the the personnel that do our flagship series right um they, they're the they're the people that train any new people we hire right and that, i'm thinking of a couple of ladies that are there that have been there that i saw there when i was there last year that have been there every time i've ever visited that place over the last several decades and it's like man it makes you wonder how many how many rods she has wrapped or how many rods she has finished it's like wow it's it's pretty impressive oh yeah and i was talking to one of them a few weeks ago and the mindset of them out there and and of her was hey i'm i'm wrapping these new offshore rods and i didn't really expect it but last week i hit a 100% ac rate on all of my finish it's like wow, they're they're like really taking pride in in, in even as fine as finer right. details as like what their yield rate is for the week. So that's awesome. It's a good culture. As a lean six sigma person, yeah, that makes me smile. I love my metrics like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned that it's interesting that you mentioned that you mentioned the offshore, right? So one of the other things that makes G Loomis very unique in my estimation, and and it, this is sort of enhanced by your uh, relationship with Shimano now. You guys make and have made just about everything, right? So some manufacturers are just fly. 
Some are just freshwater or saltwater. Some are just inshore or offshore, right? You guys really have done and can build anything, right? So you've got, how, how do y'all talk about it? You talk about it as freshwater and saltwater, or you talk about it as inshore or offshore? How, how do you guys as a team sort of define the, the design teams and, and, and the engineering teams? We kind of split it up between conventional and fly. Okay. Um, and then within the conventional, we've, of course, got the freshwater conventional and saltwater conventional. Mm-hmm. So we, as a team, we honestly, our team is fairly small, I would mm-hmm. say, compared to other companies. Yeah. Um, we've got three engineers. And and then we, of course, as of now, are still consulting with Steve, who sure. has retired, but he he comes in every other, other month and helps us with sanity sanity checks and helps us with innovations and, and <laughs> he he's could help me so. he could help me with my casting i'll tell you that so yeah um, totally sometimes he calls us and like hey can you guys let me in like i want to do this <laughs> or that so for yeah. those of you who don't know we, we refer to steve i'll pause there for a second so steve, that's steve is steve ray jeff he's one of the ray jeff brothers who are fairly legendary as uh as uh, performance competition casters, as anglers, you know, international tournament casting, he's one like I don't have all his stats and name, but it, it, in the world of sort of uh, casting competitions and therefore casting instruction and and everything else, you know, he, he's really a big deal. Uh, you know, he, he's a uh, he's kind of a he's a big guy, right? And sort of a, a larger than life personality as a result of that, but just a sweetheart of a guy. And uh, you know, if you've never seen someone cast 105 feet so effortlessly, it'll just uh it's shocking, right? But yeah, that's he he's he's one of the OGs for sure when it comes to that stuff. So uh does he consult on the conventional side too, or is it mostly just on the fly side? Oh, he does. Yeah. I think he's I think he's won a few competitions there too on the spin casting and bait oh has he i didn't know that okay well hey when you you got it you got it i guess that shouldn't surprise me but i always i've I've, for decades i've looked up to him he's been a legend in fly casting for i started tying flies and fly fishing when i was seven and i was born in before 1982 (laughs) but he's been around as long as i can remember and is certainly one of those guys that would walk down the aisles at ICAST and people recognize him and stop him and, you know, want an autograph. And he's a, he's a very gracious guy and, and always does that. So is he, is he still kicking around? You need to get him to take you fishing some, huh? Do you guys get yeah. out and go fishing together as a team? You know, fishing, not so much casting. Yes. Okay. So yeah. Over the last couple of years, we spent probably 18 months out with him at the lake every Wednesday over oh, lunch. Wow. Oh, and so just you and Jerry, it. huh? Yeah, myself, Jerry, others of our team that were wanting to get into the fly casting game. Absolutely. And so we've we've done that. And so uh, we say, we're saying Jerry, we'll give him a shout out. So it's Jerry Guevara and uh, he, he's a retired uh, Marine in, in, in so much as Marines ever retire. He's he's Marine through and through, but he's a research and development manager at Loomis. And I think uh, came originally came from California and was sort of not really the steelhead and trout and the sweetwater kind of fly fishing and everything was was novel to him. And he he's like, oh, I'm wanting to get into it, wanting to get into it. And he's telling me the story. And it's like Steve's like, all right, 
here's one of these Asquith rods, you know, meet me. We're going casting every Wednesday or whatever. And it's like, are you kidding me? You're getting like casting lessons on one of the best pieces of equipment in the world from one of the best possible casting instructors in the world. This isn't how you start in fly fishing. You're supposed to like struggle and hook yourself in the ear or hook your kid or something. Right. Like I, that, that's, I'm <laughs> so jealous of you guys. I want to start showing up on Wednesdays for, for casting lessons with Steve. Although I think the first couple would probably be, be brutal. Uh, I've got some bad habits that I, I've failed to break over the years. Uh, but he, you know, you mentioned Steve as this, this big spirit of a guy. He, he won't jump down your throat about it. He'll, yeah. Well, he's he, very, very gracious in the way. Yeah. Yeah. He, he helps you helps critique your stroke. It kind of reminded me back to, to my baseball days. Oh yeah. Just like pitching practice in the bullpen, like yep. just sitting there listening to the coach doing a few, trying a few new things. Right. Feeling See it what out. works. Yeah. Seeing what works and seeing the results. So. Well, I, I love that you guys are out there doing it every Wednesday because all of us would improve if we just put some time in. Right. It's like it doesn't matter whether it's wrapping guides or running a shotgun or, or casting a fly rod. If you if you put some time in to stay tuned up and stay in shape, it definitely makes a difference. That's that's one of those things. I'm a little guilty of like not picking the rod up until I'm on the water fishing on a trip somewhere. And then I'm like, man, I really should have knocked the ring rust off before I got in this drift boat. But <laughs> So what does Steve like to fish for most these days? Oh boy. He goes down and fishes for steelhead a lot. Does he? Yeah. Okay. You guys have some good steelhead and trout fishing around you there in Woodland for sure. Uh, he was out with some other friends of ours fishing for shad. Oh yeah. A few months ago. Yeah. There at the at Bonneville. Yeah, Matt. River. Yeah, Matt Workla was talking to me about that. I, I, I that was foreign to me until I lived in Nashville, Tennessee for a while, and there was a couple of hydroelectric dams. And in the winter time, they would let these warm water discharges out of these dams that the they were using them to cool generators or reactors or something. I don't know, and it'd create this really warm water, and the shad would move up in there. And man, you talk about like poor man's baby tarpon or something like those things will smoke a fly like anything bright like chartreuse or orange or flashy they would hit and and in that current especially they're hard fighters and then matt Wergla was telling me all about the different ways that he'll smoke them and cook them and everything else and that they're very desirable as as table fare too which i didn't know yeah that's a that's a real talking point of, of debate here oh whether factory. it's uh, okay whether so it's, we whether don't all agree it's table fare Okay. All right. We have those, we have those diehards that they're like, yeah, we can, we can cook shad all day. Let's do it. And, yeah. Okay. So this is in like, Florida. No, 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 no. If you ever get to Florida, this is mullet in Florida. This is the thing like where some okay. people there's like mullet festivals and it's a big annual deal. And some people swear by it and other people just wouldn't eat one if they were starving to death. So uh, I don't know who's <laughs> right. I'm going to have to come up there and eat some shad mat smoked or something and see, see if it's worth it or not. I'll, I'll try anything once. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So talk to us more. I'm I'm really excited given uh, what we've already talked about. And I know you guys, there's always a lot of stuff you can't talk about, right? But like, as we look into the future and as we look at the kind of things that you're focused on, talk to us about like, w what new stuff can we expect or, or where are you guys focused for product development? It sounds like obviously you had this crossover, this optimization problem from the NRX Bass to the NRX Inshore. And it sounds like that there's some some opportunities for that to go into other places and, and other you've got some new uh, ultra high modulus kind of materials you mentioned that you're playing with. Like what else what else can you share with us that's going on that we can get excited about and look forward to? You know, I think one thing here as we're coming out of the pandemic era and seeing a massive boom with the fishing industry, I expect that won't last forever. Um, and, yeah. and I think more than more than one person is asking that question. 
Well, ultimately, I think what we want to do is try to make some of these technologies a little more accessible to the avid angler. And so I think that we'll be able to have some successes moving into the future mm-hmm. on some of these technologies being put on products that would be uh, more tailored toward someone who could afford it or someone who really is avid or that wants to have that one yep. one uh, bread and butter rod for themselves in their favorite fishery somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, that's when you say more accessible, that's kind of where my head goes, trying to take that high-end technology that's on the only the elite series now and sort of filter it down into a more accessible price point, right? Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. And again, I think the uh, NRX Inshore uh, list uh, retailed MSRP is like 625 on those for both casting and spinning. Having fished them, they're worth every penny and you can absolutely buy with confidence. But I get that a lot of people don't want to spend $625 on a rod. So yeah, that, that's an exciting prospect to be able to get access to that kind of game change in technology, but get it at a more more accessible price point. That'd be a good thing, right? Yeah. 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 That's just kind of the natural order of things. I think when we innovate on the high stuff, then we certainly don't leave our mid price point products out. Yeah. Well, interesting. Allow some technologies to trickle down. So. Yeah, very exciting. So I, I, I'm a nerd when it comes to rods and rod building and guides and component selection and all this kind of stuff. I want to talk to you all about your process a little bit because it's interesting. You guys have done some proprietary reel seats and things like that lately too, and seem, seeming like more and more commonly, right? So talk to me about yep. that. Like I sort of have some window into how you go about selecting guide trains and things like that, but talk to us for the average layperson or someone who maybe is just getting an OG Loomis. Talk to me a little bit about how you guys go through that process. And when, when you decide you're going to, Hey, we're going to build our own seat on this one versus we're going to use a Fuji or some other seat on this one. And, and how you go about matching guide, which guide trains and guides you use to the rods you're building. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. As far as I'll start with real seats. Okay. In the last three years, like, like you said, the real seat that's featured on NRX Plus is we have a cast real seat that we, we developed here um, with mm-hmm. our R&D team that has gotten a lot of positive feedback. And it features some of those technologies that we saw on some Shimano spin seats, a CR4 Plus material mm-hmm. um, with a soft touch finish on mm-hmm. it. Um, so we've been able to take that and and put it on some geometries that are favorable for for the products that we've been we've been building. That I think is is kind of what fits for our our flagship, um, right. And and that is the NRX Plus, the G Lumis mm-hmm. flagship, right. Um, for for some of those, and we just got done talking about making products more accessible. It's not mm-hmm. always super price sensitive to be designing all of our own stuff. Right. Um, especially when we're trying to serve our, our consumers. So there is there are times and places where we like to have that tried and true real seat at the price. Um, and, right. and, and that's what you guys offer. That's what uh, some other sure. ma- manufacturers offer. And those fit the bill. Yeah. So we, we have a lot of Fuji real seats on our our products for that reason. We appreciate it very much. Use all you want. We'll make more. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, there are even some big name, big names or big award winners too that have, have had Fuji real seats on them. We are very past, grateful. So. 
Yeah, we we've managed, and I can't take any credit for this. Uh, and maybe Fuji could a little bit. I can't, but we've we've had a rod win a best of show that had Fuji components on it for I think it's going on eight or nine iCasts in a row now. So mm-hmm. we'll take it. Uh, to me, that says more about we're fortunate to get to work with incredibly innovative people that are pushing the envelope of performance and in developing new technologies and and everything else. Uh, and, and and certainly that's not just limited to G Loomis, but I, I was very very excited about the NRX Inshore win this year because they're just you know remarkable rods. And and on like on the guide train side, like without being brand specific, like um, how are you going about selecting which guides go on which rods? Like obviously you're using something for fly that's going to be different than what you're using for conventional. Maybe there's a difference with what you're using for heavy duty offshore saltwater versus inshore kind of light trout. But as a design engineer, how are you guys thinking about that? You, you start with the blank first. And then once you get the technology where you want with that, then you start matching up the components to kind of enhance performance and, and meet a price point or like to talk to me about that process. How do you guys think about that? I think we think about it starting in terms of, uh, okay, what do we need to build on? What product do we need to offer to the mm-hmm. market? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least business strategy wise, and that's out sure. of my court. I don't, I don't know exactly what goes on in the minds of our product planners to determine um, what we're building. Sure. Um, but we we get a list of those as a, as a request with some detailed specs. Sometimes it's detailed spec. Other times it's uh, a general idea and a direction, and okay. then we take it and run with it. And when it comes to guides, it'll start with factors like quality cost mm-hmm. and delivery mm-hmm. um, th- those are kind of right at the core sure um, but then when we're thinking about innovating we we think about the guide weight mm-hmm. uh, so going between a stainless steel or a titanium type guide um, and then we think about the flex of the guide mm-hmm. um, and how that might affect the actual feel of the blank because mm-hmm. of course guides they're attached to the blanks pretty rigidly mm-hmm. um, and if the if the guides have their own stiffness then that will contribute to the stiffness at a localized point where each yep. guide is yep um, and then guide performance for for casting ring materials sure um, so we're very familiar with some of the tried and true ring materials there's the there's the sic silicon sure. carbide sure on on the innovation side of that there's the torzite sure um, yeah. from, from you guys that one yeah that one shows up on our conquest product mm-hmm. but in general for quality we're looking at like ring grooving yeah um as as line gets dirty sandy grimy and you're reeling that in casting it multiple times right. that creates some friction some resistance some degrading of maybe the surface of the of the ring material over sure. time and we want to make sure that on our products that remains as durable as possible for as long as possible absolutely and then just overall breakage are the rings going to pop out or the right. is the frame going to fall apart or right. will it bend will it bend back and remain strong if it gets deformed or right. or how far can you bend it before it remains permanently deformed yep and then there are some other human factors. We, we mentioned the people here at our factory. Some of the people that have been here for 35 years. Right. For them to, to have success in the job that they do, it can come down to something as nitpicky as foot geometry. Sure. Um, yeah. 
So the foot geometry, does it sit well on the blank? Wrap easily and finish does well. Does it balance? Yeah, does right. it wrap easily? Does does the thread stay on the foot or does it become prone to gaps in the thread? Think, things as small as that, that, that affects yeah. the, the six sigma of the factory. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. And, th- and that makes a lot of sense. You know, as I, as I'm listening to you talk, it's sort of like in my mind, no surprise that the, the quality of the rods you guys are turning out is is so good from a fit and finish perspective. Cause you're, you're paying attention to all the, every little detail, the same as any custom builder would. So it, it totally makes sense that it comes out of that caliber of product. So one of the things that's interesting to, to for me about you is, you know, I've been building rods for a long time, but I came from another industry. Uh, you sort of came from outside, from aerospace, right? And have been just a few years here in the fishing industry. What's like the biggest surprise uh, or, or difference in, in how it is versus how you thought it would be that you would tell people from the outside now that you've been at the epicenter here for three years? Oh, boy. A lot of hats. Yeah. Um, I wear a lot more hats in this job at G Loomis than I ever did in the aerospace industry. Interesting. The aerospace industry does a, does a very meticulous job of compartmentalizing resources mm-hmm. and compartmentalizing training levels and, and all of this. Whereas uh, the fishing industry is th- throw them in and see if they'll swim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or see if they catch fish. Yeah. <laughs> Hand them the yeah, flower so rod and see if they can cast. <laughs> so it's been it's been a, a learning experience, and it, and you you have to fight every step of the way. Yeah. For one, to maintain the systems that ensure success in right. our business, yeah. um, the systems that ensure success in our design process. Um, so things like modeling, three D modeling, analytical calculations, modeling. Yep. For for design, and then overall best practices for design so we've maintained a lot of those in the last few years in fact we did a massive project to try and document the mind of steve ray jeff in the last three years as well oh wow so that we don't lose that tribal knowledge right that, that he's had and and so we can build on the innovations that have been done in the last 40 years yeah and to make sure that our industry continues to advance yeah no that's awesome music to my ears to hear you talking about it i, I and i think again part of why i love having you on here to talk about it is um i'm not i think that's a part people miss uh, i think sometimes maybe they underappreciate or undervalue the amount of hard science and and uh materials and manufacturing expertise that's that's going into this from an engineering perspective from a production and operations perspective you know it's it's just very cool and and no wonder it takes that right to keep pushing the envelope and keep innovating and iterating again and again and uh, you know you alluded to the kind of the optimization problems kind of continuing to solve these optimization problems and make breakthroughs they don't happen by accident right i mean i guess you occasionally get the eureka moment in the shower or you know in the middle of the night or over your second cup of coffee but for the most part it's kind of elbow grease you know and and constantly working to get incrementally better at every little step that that leads to the breakthroughs and that kind of continued trajectory and momentum of 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 innovation that's very cool so uh what's your home water out there your favorite place to fish i know you're a small stream guy so where where are you liking to spend or don't tell me if if you're gonna i don't want you to say something the next time you go pull up to your your weight-in area it's covered up with people because you mentioned it so area exit if you have to but what's what's your home water out there you know here in the pacific northwest i'm fairly new i grew up fishing in colorado and utah so some of those blue ribbon streams they fly in fish in they fly fish awesome. in Colorado and Utah. I didn't know. I yeah. didn't know there's any fly fish in there. 
<laughs> we're gonna get the hate i'm I'm just kidding guys i fish out there all the time i'll be out there in a few weeks it's they're both amazing states but yeah how how many stereotypes could we rattle out right here and right oh now? gosh enough enough yeah <laughs> yeah i'll, I'll just so, say this all my hats have a curved bill so that's all you need to know about me i don't have any flat brims you know one thing that's not a secret here, right running through town in Woodland is the Lewis River. Yeah. And the North North Fork, North of, the Fork Lewis of the Lewis. River. Yeah. Yeah, it's steelhead. And that's where I caught my first steelhead two years ago. Yeah. Just a week after my second daughter was born. Oh, so, I, ooh, you're a better salesperson than me. I couldn't get out of the house that quickly after a kid being born. You're teach me, master. My father-in-law came to town. That's what it was. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Hey, there you got you gotta entertain the father-in-law, man. You gotta keep him happy, right? Yep. So oh, that's yeah. My wife was very gracious to, oh, to let us go. Does she fish also? When it's when the fishing's hot, yeah. Okay, All she right. does. So that's that's my challenge is to find those places where the fishing's hot. We we got into a week in Utah. Actually, we were fishing kind of the valley bottom river drainage area for bullhead catfish. Oh yeah. And we and we had those things on just little seven eight inch bullhead catfish all day oh wow um, i had my four-year-old out reeling some in i had my two-year-old out reeling some in and that was a the little, good stuff little right there experience oh yeah for, that's the good for stuff those man. that uh that want to get into fishing so absolutely i so it was this conventional or fly this was conventional okay all right i was gonna but say that would be an interesting challenge on fly you know i have caught blue catfish and channel catfish on fly um usually on uh bass streamers or on woolly white woolly boogers fishing for crappie and big panfish so the catfish will do it i've caught catfish on chatterbaits too um in certain farm ponds i mean they're predators right that when they get to eating minnows they'll they'll hit anything that's a uh, um my, my my most distinguished uh catfish catch to date was uh on a saltwater super spook, I caught a big gaff top catfish on, uh, on top water. And I literally had to video it and, and make a video of me landing it in the kayak. Cause I was like, no one's ever going to believe that I caught this catfish on a top water plug, but, uh, sure enough. <laughs> and I've happened to have caught one or two since then, but everyone always like, no, you didn't. This is a fish story. It's like, no, 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 you're, I got the video. Look, but you know, that's yeah. awesome. I don't think I've ever caught a bullhead. I'll, I'll work on bullheads. Yeah. I mean, some may say in, in Florida that you can't, the sail cats off um yeah so i i've caught a few sail cats on a fly <laughs> yeah yeah that's and that's the kind i caught on the top water and then i wasn't that happy to see him but it was a slow day actually what happened was i ended up paddling a mile downwind to because the bird activity that was down there and i got down there and it was just catfish it was like oh it's gonna be a long paddle home <laughs> yep. upwind for nothing with an empty with an empty fish bag but oh well oh man hey so um anything else you want to hit anything else we should flesh out so in addition to like the quality cost delivery and the performance characteristics, we've recently found the, the need to take a more sustainability approach to guide selection as well. So the, for example, the black coating, mm -hmm. um, that it, it's kind of getting out and around that the, the process of coating guides in black is not good for the environment. Or the um, workers, yeah. Yeah, it releases chemicals into the working environment and the air that um, is, is not good. The turning point there has been to go with more gunmetal style mm -hmm. guides. Um, yep. And I mean, that feels good. Yeah. The gunmetal still still fits the bill for, for cosmetics on, on our end. Absolutely. In most of the case, 
as well as one one that we've used recently that we are really loving is the t2 titanium mm -hmm. that darker titanium guide yep. um, and that's the one that's featured on the nrx plus inshore right just a, a wonderful guide that that adds to the the cosmetic experience the unboxing experience if you oh, will yeah. of our rods. absolutely um, sharp looking guides and now they're we're bringing them in in torzite too uh, not just sic but they're gonna the t2 titanium and torzite as well which i was really excited to see fuji do because i'm with you I, that's a really attractive finish and it's um you know with the titanium product it uh it's gonna hold up really really well obviously but I, I i just i don't know i can't help but the cosmetics attract me i guess we catch fishermen first and then we catch fish second right <laughs> yeah but the the form factor on those too compared to some of the yeah. older guides is a little more narrow which is kind of neat absolutely like yeah form factor can can change the name of the game on what a rod looks like absolutely and how it functions right yeah and the weight yeah. and the wind resistance and the tangle free nature yeah it's it, it's yeah. it's so impressive how much engineering fuji puts into that stuff and i love that you know it makes sense to me it's kind of like they do the same thing that somebody like loomis does you come up with the the proprietary technology goes in the highest end stuff first then it filters down my hope is that some of those different frames that there, there's several frames that are only available historically in titanium you know my hope is that that's going to filter down and just like you'll start to use, you know, make them more accessible for some of this technology over time. I, you know, my hope is that we're going to continue to see some of that. It makes sense that the exploration and the innovation and the development happens at that high end, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of that filter down. And I think we've seen something like that with these new K plus uh, slim O frame ring guides uh, where they put the cave, the dedicated K frame, tangle free kind of frame, rapid reduction train frames and sizes and heights, you know, in, into the more accessible price point. I think, I hope, I think we're going to see some of that happening with some of those proprietary excellent form factor guides that are only available in titanium as well. And, you know, the black you mentioned, like that'll make Fuji so happy to hear you understand that it was a environmental and concern for the environment and for worker safety and for, you know, the oceans, uh, which ultimately, if we if we don't have clean water, we don't have any fishing and then we don't have any fishing tackle industry. Right. So they're they're very responsible corporate citizens and, and very forward thinking about that. Um, it was obviously a very hard choice to get rid of the, that black finish, which made a lot of us very unhappy. But theoretically, I couldn't disclose anything confidential, but. I happen to know there's a lot of research still going on to come up with a more environmentally friendly black colored finish, right? That won't be a paint with all the toxic byproducts and fumes and, and environmental impacts. So stay tuned for that. You know, uh, th this kind of engineering, as you know, better than most doesn't happen overnight, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that at some point, um, certainly in this decade, we will see, uh, we will see a return to a new black, if you will. So you heard it here first on the Mastering Rod Building Podcast. I'm probably going to get a phone call from Japan now. Like, what are you talking about this stuff for? <laughs> oh, well. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. We really do play the sustainability game on, on multiple fronts here. Well, and we all should be. We all should be. Yeah. And that's the first thing they said to me when I said, what are you doing? Getting Why'd you get rid of black? And they said... Are you aware of what it does to the environment? You don't love the environment? <laughs> yeah. I love the environment, but I love my black guides too. <laughs> but yeah, no, and, I, was, and I think with the with the continuing demand for that, that just I mean, just like Hypalon is now kind of replaced by right. EPDM. Right. 
right? We'll, we'll see some some alternative to that. Yeah, and we should. And, you know, and there's probably some innovation there too, right? Like, uh, I mean, you could argue we wouldn't have gotten as far as we have with sort of composite grips and carbon fiber grips and some of these other things if the cork had remained sustainable and at the same quality and reasonable price we probably would have just been lazy and stuck with it right so so i i do think these changes whatever drives them right which in this case is good corporate citizenship and sort of global environmental stewardship um it it can drive innovation it can create an opportunity for people that are thinking about it the right way so i i applaud what you're doing it's philosophically very consistent with uh what Fuji tries to do. And, uh, so and it's, it's can be expensive and difficult, right? I, I know that for sure. It's, it's got a price tag associated with it on our end. I'm sure it does on your end too, but as an angler who loves to take my kids fishing, I appreciate your stewardship and responsibility. Kudos G Loomis. Uh, and I hope you can serve as an example to others who will follow because it's, it's important. We need to be engaged in, in taking care of if our one and only earth and our one and only water supply, but I digress. Amen. Amen. There we go. Hey, so say we all of us. That's right. For his good and the good of all of his holy church. Awesome. Well, that was excellent on the guides, by the way. Thank you so much for going back and hitting that. Hey, so um, one of the other ones we've, we've obviously covered the NRX, but talk to me a little, because I'm a, I'm a really keen offshore and saltwater guy. Talk to me about the V2, the IMX V2 Salt. This is another new series, and maybe it's getting overshadowed by the NRX. Plus, can you tell me something without having to kill me yet? Or Yeah, I think the only reason it's maybe overshadowed is because it got edged out by the, the hardy Marksman Z rods that the I cast this year. But... Yeah. We still have a really great offering there. It has Fuji stripper guides on it. Yay! I like yeah. it already. Yeah, um, and we've we've got a blank color on there that our industrial designer here has has helped us incorporate on that product, which is really go. neat. Yeah, and we call it Neptune Blue, and mm-hmm. it it's just very nice when, when you get it out there. On, They're on gorgeous, the especially in the sun. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's worth a look. Um, and we've, uh, that was one that I was very privileged to sit and work with Steve on. Steve, Ray Jeff, again, we've mentioned him multiple times here, sure. but his office was just across the way from mine. And yeah. he was able to sit there and run his calculations using, using the magic sauce. And the drawings would hit my desk and I'd get them onto the factory and and ready to go and i'd be trying to pick up tidbits all the all along the way well, that's awesome that's awesome yeah it's a they're a good looking rod again so powerful for and so light you know for for that much power but uh we we appreciate you uh thinking of us salty dogs out here awesome so uh if people want to learn more they can obviously go to gloomis.com right any other uh and you guys are on instagram you are on facebook uh, where else, if people want to learn more about the company, where would you direct them or learn about the current products or figure out where their dealer is? Just go to the website. Yeah, go to the website. Uh, G Loomis YouTube is also a great place to see some of our most recent products. And I think there's videos on all the new products that dropped at iCast out there already, right? Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much. Uh, it's such a pleasure to to have you on. And I always learn something when I get to talk to a, an engineer about this stuff. We're, we're going to have to spend some time on the water and I want to hear more about the aluminum widgets that are orbiting the earth now. Uh, if, if it's, if it's not classified and you're allowed to tell me, I think that stuff's fascinating. 
Yep. Yeah. This one was for earth science. So I can, I can tell you all I want. Oh, well, there we go. There we go. It's all good. Well, man, thank you so much Landon Myers for joining me today. We appreciate y'all tuning in to the mastering rod building podcast. Please like, and subscribe and download wherever you get your podcast content. And uh, I'm sure we will talk again soon, but until then, Landon, please say hello to all the, all my buddies at G Loomis. And uh, thanks so much for coming on board. Will do. Thank you so much, Bill. Absolutely. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Mastering Rod Building Podcast. Please like and subscribe and download wherever you get your podcast content. We'll see you next time.